Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Let me try that again. Good morning. I love the psalmist where he proclaims, I was glad when he said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Last week we sang a song that I absolutely love. It's called, There's Joy in the House of the Lord. And how many of you know that every time we come together, there should be the resident joy that is there because of the presence of Christ? Also because of people that we love, the community of believers, but I, there's just something about when God's people get together. It's one of the, my favorite things to do. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. And this morning is going to be the last message in regards to the Heroes Hall of Fame in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Um, I have to tell you, uh, something funny happened yesterday. I, I, I hope that I never get tired of the process of what takes place whenever you preach. A lot of people, and we've talked about it, and I'm excited about Joey uh, on October 2nd. He's going to be installed as the new lead pastor at Cornerstone. Come on, give it up for that young man. <clears throat> Some of you who might be coming here or have been coming here, well, how come we didn't have a congregational vote? Well, we're a little bit different in a lot of denominations. We're very similar to the Methodists in that we have what's called a modified Episcopal government. Our pastors are appointed by the supervisor. So he has a boss over him in just a few weeks, and not just me, but it'll be somebody else. And I bet he'll be glad that he who the son has been set free from, okay, that's a little bit different than... But as I always have this thing that on Sundays, the night before Saturday, I just wrestle with what it is. God, what do you want to say to us? What are you expecting today as you sit in the seat? Are you here to have your ears tickled? Are you here to, well, I'm kind of down today. Are you here because it's a holy day of obligation? Are you here because you really want to be here? You see, what you receive in regards to the Word of God going forth is based upon the hunger and thirst that you have for God. And if you're here and you're just like, okay, let me see what you got, that's about all you're going to get. You know, stay home and watch football. But if you believe that there is joy in the house of the Lord, if you believe that whenever we gather, two or three are gathered my name, He is in our midst. And we have got to come to recognize that what we experience as a believer, even though it is the unseen world, it is more real than the very chair that you're sitting on. In fact, the unseen world is where we will live eternity. None of us have seen heaven yet, but yet we know that is the greatest reality that all of us strive to attain. Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 32 through verse 34, and by the way, uh, I, yesterday I was bringing in something for my daughter, and my elbow 
caught her mirror in the, in the uh, driveway. And boy, it just took a piece of skin and just flipped it over. It was, oh, it was, you want to see it? No. But I realized that the older I get, the more thin-skinned I am. Everybody know, ever heard that term, thin-skinned? How many of you know we live in a culture right now that's very thin-skinned? Everybody is offended at everything. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 34. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. And by the way, that message last week about David uh, was absolutely wonderful. And it says in verse 33, who through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned into strengths, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. This morning, one of those heroes that is listed is one of my favorite, and it's the story in the Old Testament of Gideon. And so if you'd be so... Kind, turn now, if you would, to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to look at the life of Gideon. We're going to look at a person who was a hero. Might we say it this way? He was an unlikely hero. He didn't view himself as a hero or a warrior, but God viewed him as a warrior. And how many of you know that as we come into the Word of God today, that God views us differently than we view ourselves? He sees potential in us when we see failure. He sees expectancy in something happening when perhaps we have no hope for tomorrow. He sees the solution to our dilemma when all we see is the fog of unknowing what the future may hold. You see, we, we serve a God that believes in His family. And I don't know about you, if, yeah, I hope that every person here today is a member of the family of God. But i got to tell you, you know, sometimes you have to have family business, don't you? With, with your brothers and your sisters and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And it, it always isn't perfect. And it's so funny because in the life of the church, we think that, well, we want to be a New Testament church. That's true to a certain extent, but I'll be honest with you. Have you ever read the New Testament? Folks, they were jacked up. They had some real problems. Read the book of Corinthians if you don't think so. Man, there was all kinds of stuff going on. And the way that they would lie. And, the way, and he, in Ephesians, he tells them to stop killing each other. I know we had some church disputes at Cornerstone, but I don't think we've ever quite gone that far yet. Now, when we look at Judges chapter 6, it's the story of a man that God appears to through the form of an angel because he has a message that not only he wants to speak to Gideon but he wants to use Gideon he wants to use Gideon in the day-to-day -day life of the people of Israel to those 12 tribes that had now been scattered over the promised land you'll recall that we had Moses for 40 years, he led the Israelites through the desert. And so we had Moses' incredible leadership, the pillar of fire at night, the cloud of smoke during the day, manna from heaven came down, the miraculous opening of the sea of, 
uh, the Red Sea. And so they had specific leadership. Moses came down with the Decalogue, with the Ten Commandments. And then, because Moses got a little bit out of step when he got older, and, and my, my kids all tell me, Dad, we've got to be careful with you because you're getting older, and sometimes you say stuff. You know, Moses did that. He struck a rock when he wasn't supposed to, and God said, okay, Moses, I'm sorry, but this young buck named Joshua is going to take everyone into the promised land. You can't go. And so Joshua, for the next 40 years, led the nation of Israel. He led them throughout all of the promised land, stepping into the potential of what God had called them to and the land that they would possess that was filled with promise. And so God not only wants to call us, He wants to use us to fulfill the promise that He has for your life. Even when, like Gideon, you may feel like you're not anyone who is a leader. We're going to look at him today in verse 6, or chapter 6, because I love this story. And by the way, I'm going to do a, a plea before Pastor Joey right now. I'm not adding any extra stress. Joseph, there is no way I can get through all of the story of Gideon. So if you perchance wanted to make this into a short series, I'm just saying, you know, it would make a wonderful short series. That's it. That's all I'll say. Judges chapter, no pressure, right? Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And verse 1 says it all. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Have you ever messed up? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever sinned? Have you ever done evil? Maybe you didn't intend to, but it ended up that way. Maybe you said some things about somebody that, that weren't true. Maybe you cheated on your income tax. Maybe you did something that was just flat-out evil. The Israelites were good at it. And don't kid yourself. We're good at it. We're experts at it. In fact, we learned from the very beginning in Adam and Eve. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, deliver us from those attitudes that think that somehow we're better than somebody else. That we don't sin, that we don't do wrong. And so the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. You realize that the Bible tells us that don't let any man be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And guess what? When we're disobedient to God, when we do evil in his sight, how many of you know there's a price to pay? We seem to kind of leave that out of the equation today, to think that really we can do whatever we want, go wherever we want to go, say what we want to say view whatever movies we want to on TV, and I'm not being legalistic about things. I just recognize that there's a lot of people have this viewpoint of life that, well, that's your truth. That's how you see life. Well, that may be, but I'm looking at the truth of gospel, and I'm looking at the truth of what Jesus declared. And I got to tell you, a lot of it doesn't add up against the measure of what culture says is right and wrong. So the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and so, you know, God did 
to them what he does to you and me or to any good parent uh, when they go astray what do we do we discipline them my daughter and, and her family are, are back in the house with us for a while and we've got a little 18 month old uh, little baby boy there Beckham and, and he is he is as ornery and as wild as any kid I've, I'm just, I love this kid he'll just take run off running but his dad learned something that during dinner that if he acts up and starts whining and how many of you know we do that as believers oh yeah we do come sit in my office sometime I guarantee you we do it and sometimes I wish I could do what Brennan does and he puts the wooden spoon on the table and he says you want the spoon guess what that boy becomes an angel because he knows there's recompense to be paid if he sins and falls short of the glory of God it happened to the Israelites it happens to us and so because in verse 2 the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves mountain cliffs caves and strongholds and so they're they're hiding from the enemy wait a minute this is the promised land this is where they were to go to receive all of the blessing that God had for them verse 3 whenever the Israelites planted their crops the Midianites the Amalekites the Hesitites the what you might call it tights Menonites, all kinds of other tights kites they invaded the country they camped on their land verse 4 and they ruined their crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare anything for Israel neither sheep nor camels nor donkeys they put it to them they would wait till their crops were harvested they would then steal them so they didn't have to do the work themselves then they would take all their animals and they'd either take them and eat them and by the way has anybody been to the Middle East is is camel meat or donkey meat is that good I don't know if that's a good steak or not but they would kill all of their animals as well and the Bible says in verse 5 they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts it was impossible to count all of the marauders uh, because of their camels because they invaded the land and they ravaged it listen to verse 6 Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help you know what had happened they did evil in the sight of the Lord remember verse 1 what happened God allowed for seven years of affliction guess what when you and I fall short of the glory of God when you and I sin when we're disobedient to the laws of God there's a price to pay and they paid that price by the loss of their crops the loss of their animals but what happened God in his graciousness and his mercy was listening and what did the Israelites do they cried out in their distress and in their pain in their loneliness in their loss they cried out to the Lord 
Why? Because of their circumstance. Don't miss this point in your walk with Jesus. There is a reason that you walk through the fire. There is a reason that you walk through cancer. There is a reason that you possibly are on the brink of a divorce and your relationship isn't working out. It's because God wants you to call on him and realize the only way that particular problem, that particular issue that you're dealing with can be solved by turning to him and to him alone. See, my Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have a tendency to try everything else first. Well, let me try this counseling. Let me try this. Hey, God said, hey, whatever it takes for me to get you to call upon me once again. The Midianites, verse 7, called out to the Lord and um, And he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of the oppressors. I drove them out before and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. How many of you know God gives us a free will? And many times, we think we know better. Or this time, God's made an exception. Or I can do this, it's because I have a freedom in Christ. Well, it's in this particular situation that God hears the cries of the nation. And how many of you know that sometimes we are in a place in our life where we might be crying out to God, we're not quite sure if he's listening or not. You ever had that? Where things are tough and, man, I, God, I just feel like you aren't listening. You aren't there. And so what I love when the Lord says he was waiting for them to call upon him. And how many of you know that Sometimes God knows before, well, every time he knows before what we ask, what we need. I got a couple of kids. Actually, I got five of them, and I just found out I'm going to have another grandkid. My gosh, there's more than one way to build a church, isn't there, Paula? I think that'll bring me up to 14. I can't remember. I can't count that high. When I look at what is taking place, What does it take for us to cry out, to say to God, I need help? God says, I've been waiting for that. See, I have a couple of kids that call me once in a while, and it's really kind of funny because I kind of know their schedule through the years, and I kind of know, hmm, this is I need some help with the kids' phone call. This is, Dad, can you come and do me a favor, da-da-da-da-da phone call. And in my favorite is from certain individuals, and I won't mention any names, but literally, I know, oh boy, they need money. And how many of you know, one of the surprises of life for me is I didn't know adult children would need money at times. I really didn't. Well, that's something we never did. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but I kind of know what it is they're calling about. Amen? Come on, you can talk to me. As Joey says, we'll get through this a lot quicker. 
And so when my kids call me, I know what it's about. And guess what? When we call upon God, he's hoping and expecting that that's the phone call I've been waiting for. And it's not to ask for money, it's to ask for help. It's to tell him that I've got good news. We're going to have another kid. And, and all of the nations of the world will be blessed because of that. Now, when God reaches out to us and causes those things to happen, it's because he's reaching into our world to get us to respond to him. And so, the angel of the Lord comes down. And, and this is a pre just an amazing story. And he sits under an oak tree. And it belonged to Joash, the Abizurite, uh, who's, who owned the property. That was uh, Gideon's dad. And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the end of verse 11 in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, Gideon was a farmer by trade. And so here he is, he's threshing out the wheat. Uh, he's not wanting to be seen because if they see him, they're going to take, you know, even the few kernels that perhaps he is threshing just for evening dinner or evening barley loaf of bread. So he's hiding. He's hiding. And he's good at it. He's listening, making sure that if he hears any noise, any rustling in the the grass or the trees or whatever nearby, he'll hunker down till the threat is gone. But he's hiding. Don't miss this point. Hiding is a natural defense when we're being attacked or when we've done wrong. What did Adam and Eve do the minute they sinned? They hid from God. Gideon was hiding because he was afraid. Verse 12, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now mind you, Gideon is down in the wine press, threshing, probably with a couple pieces of the board. And by the way, threshing was made to do throwing the, the wheat up into the air. The, the shaft would separate and the grain would fall to the ground. The shaft would be blown away. So to be able to winnow with wheat and to separate the wheat from the shaft was very difficult in a wine press. He probably was using a couple of little boards that they used to use with a couple like nails on it. And he was probably doing it by hand. And he wasn't out there, you know, like you see in these pictures in the Old Testament. This big hay pitchfork going up in the air and, and everything scattering. That's the way winnowing should have taken place. But he was hiding. And the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, the Lord is with you. And I, I want you to see this encounter. I see myself and all of us having this dialogue with the Lord. Verse 13. Because Gideon, Gideon's a sharp dude. Hmm. Uh, sir, not saying he's being sarcastic, sardonic, or cynical. None of us would ever do that. Um, 
just a simple question. If the Lord's with us, why is all this crud around us happening? If the Lord is with us, why is these things happening? If the Lord is with us and God is in charge, why does he allow babies to be killed at birth? And, and we begin to put all of these situations in front of what God has not done according to our expectations. And I love Gideon. He starts to lay out the history. He's going he's to have a little talk. Remember that old song, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our trouble. We will hear. He's going to have a talk with this messenger of God. We're going to have a little talk. And, and he says, but if the Lord is with us, why has this happened? Where are all the miracles and the wonders our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midianites? I love the fact that Gideon wasn't afraid to talk to the Lord. What is it that we, with fear and trembling, don't think that somehow God can't be challenged? Or that we don't understand something? Or we're fearful of something? And, and I don't want you to miss this because I got a feeling that the way Gideon stood up to God, now he didn't really know the full extent of it at this point. It's going to be real... But part of it is his sassiness is exactly why God's called him a mighty warrior, even though Gideon didn't see himself that way. And God said, you know what? Old John, he's standing up to me. He's holding his own against me. He's reminding me of my nature. He's reminding me of those things that I did in the past. And guess what? If he can stand up to me, he can surely stand up to those Amorites and attack them. Do you get the understanding? Don't miss that. Gideon was able to have a conversation with God to challenge him to, to find out whether or not this was, are you kidding me? But it was the launching pad of Gideon being able to stand up to that Amorite war horde that came in. But the Lord has abandoned us, verse, end of verse 13. Now, I got so excited there, I can't breathe for a moment, excuse me. Verse 14. I'll go to my Alexander Scurvy voice. He's the one that reads the Bible. And now the Lord turned to him and said, Gosh, that was, okay, he didn't like his voice. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midianite, Midian's hand. What did God, or what did the angel of the Lord address when Gideon expressed his disdain and the lack of response on the Lord's part? What did he do? He didn't do anything. And the mere fact you didn't answer that question tells me you understand. The Lord turned to him and said, 
go in strength, you have and save Israel out of, you have that strength and save you out of Midian's hand. He speed bumped right over the questions he had. And I love that because the angel knew, the angel of the Lord knew why they were there. They knew their purpose. It was not to answer his arguments, but was to see the power of God demonstrated in delivering the people whom had cried out to God. And the Lord said, I will be their deliverer. They've called unto me and I will answer them. I could, angel of the Lord, could I even say it this way? I don't think God's too concerned about our excuses. And sometimes not even our questions. Because he sees you, he sees me, he sees something that needs to be done in us and through us. And then he says this in verse 4. Am I not, verse 14, am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Now once again, I, I, I see the reiteration. Remember Moses when God said that uh, he was to deliver the nation of Israel from the Egyptians. Uh, to my recollection, Moses had five different excuses he used. Uh, he, he couldn't talk well. He's slow of speech. You know. and, and how many of you know when God wants us to do something, we make good excuses? Well, you know, I didn't go to Bible school. You know, I really don't know the Bible that well. I mean, and, and so we make these excuses and not realizing that God has called us to share the good news of Jesus whenever, wherever he plants us, in the workplace, in the school, in the neighborhood. But Gideon, he's going to start with a few excuses. I mean, I, but Lord, how can I save Israel? Remember, there's 12 tribes, right? Because I, my, my tribe's the weakest, Manasseh. They're, 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 man, they got no power at all. They're, they're a bunch of sissies. And I love Gideon. I'm the least of my family. You think my family has a bad, I'm the lowest on the totem pole and the lowest of the tribes. So you can't get any lower than low. The Lord answered, Gideon. I'm going to answer your argument again, but I'm going to do so my way. He says in verse 16, I will be with you. I will be with you. Would you say that back to me this morning? I will be with you. Say it like you mean it. I will be with you. The Lord is telling Gideon he will be with him. Don't miss that significance. And the Lord said, I will be with you, and together we will strike down the Midianites. And Gideon said, well, now that I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that, that you're really talking to me. And here we go. Let's make a deal with God, right? You know, Lord, if you would just give me $100 today in the mail, I'll know that, that you are my provider, that you did miraculous, you know, when we make all these things. And he goes, God, if I found favor, give me a sign that it's really you. And please do not go away until I come back and bring the offering. And I said it before. And the Lord said, I'll wait for you to return. So Gideon went in verse 19. 
and, and basically what it is, he, he prepares a sacrifice, a young goat, an ephah flower. He offers it into the Lord under the oak tree. And, and then as he does that, the angel of the Lord takes a fire and consumes his offering. And with the, the, the tip of the staff, uh, there's fire that comes forth. And then immediately upon that sacrifice being consumed, the angel disappears. And that's when... Gideon in verse 22 says, uh, wow, that was the angel of the Lord. That wasn't just some guy checking in by the oak tree and sitting down wanting a drink of water. And he said, I have seen the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar there. This incredible prelude of the book of Judges that I want to just put it in a synopsis form very quickly that after Joshua had defeated all of Israel's enemies, he established all 12 tribes around the promised land. And Joshua had ushered in an entirely new situation in Jewish history and Jewish life. And when he died and those 12 tribes went to different locations for the first time in the history of over a decade, over a century, they did not have one central figure who was a godly leader. How many of you know leadership's everything? They didn't have a good leader. Now, Moses and Joshua, you know, pity the man who's got to come in after those two, right? They're part of the Hall of Fame. Joey told us about that. There are plaques hanging there in Jerusalem. Moses and Joshua, listen to what, both of them were military geniuses. Both of them acted as prime minister of their country. Both of them, in essence, spiritually were the chief rabbi, and both of them were the mediators between all of the people of Israelites, all of their citizens, Take all of that, roll it into one, and that's Moses, and that's Joshua, and now there's nothing. That's a big drop. And that vacuum hits them hard. Because those men kept them focused upon God. We find out in chapter 2 of the book of Judges, if you go back just a little bit previous, two generations later, This is where we find Gideon. And we find that they didn't know the Lord anymore. They were worshiping other gods. The Bible says that his anger flared against them. And God said he couldn't turn his back on his condition, their condition. And that is, in essence, what the book of Judges is all about. Stories of men and women who are used mightily not only to defeat the enemy, but to bring the nation restored back to God. How many think that sounds like a good thing? To restore a nation back to the heart of God. I'm going to just touch on something very quickly. But before Joshua died, he conquered 90% of the land. And as he divided it amongst all of the tribes, the center point of Jewish life began to dissipate. And Israel at one time had been a united, congruent nation 
one people that was united in both purpose and everyday life, in mission, and in military strategy. And so here's the problem that began to weave its way into the Israelites as they were dispensed or dispersed to these 12 different areas. They began to allow being woven into the fabric of their everyday existence through the decades that their allegiance was no longer solely to Yahweh, solely to the God who had set them free, solely to the one who had given them the Ten Commandments, solely to the one who said, there shall be no other gods before me, and solely to the one, you shall not use my, the Lord's name in vain. And so the 12 tribes were growing so fast that in several decades, it was all that it took that they forgot their purpose. And why it was that God called them. They forgot where they came from. And how God had delivered them. They wandered from God's law. And the covenant vows where the Bible says in the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Hear O Israel the Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your neighbors, yourself. They forgot all those things. And it resulted in Judges 2 where it says the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped various gods. It aroused the Lord's anger. And the amazing thing in chapter 2, it tells us that they became very frustrated and were in great distress because they went out to fight and the Lord's hand was against them. I want you to think about that for a moment. Could you imagine that you're asking for God's help? Because we have a tendency to think that partial obedience is, is close. But how many of you know God demands total obedience? Total forsaking ourselves, picking up our cross and following him. And this whole issue of partial obedience or just a little bit of it doesn't cut it with God. And so they're, they're thinking they're asking for help, and they were in great distress, and every time they asked for, or they were reaching out and tried to fight a battle, they failed. Have you ever been in a place in your life that everything you've done, everything you've tried, your finances, your marriage, whatever it may be, it's all failing. Nothing is working. It's as if somehow God's hand might be against you. That is a possibility. Sometimes it's the work of the enemy. But sometimes it's just God saying, hey, look here. Have I got your attention? Because I want to do something in you. It was one of the lowest times. And I, I'm not sure if we have the uh, slide of, of the different cycles of sin that take place. But there's seven cycles that go through Israel during the time of the judges. And, uh, yeah, it's up there. Uh, basically, and just real quickly, and this happens seven times. There's actually 12 judges that span over the time of about 325 years. There's a whole reason why there's some discrepancy on how many years it was. But here's the cycle of the book of Judges. And it is the people fall into sin and idolatry. God becomes angry. They are oppressed by their enemies. And when I say oppressed, they literally, uh, they're in bondage. There's heartache. There's misery. They cry out to God. And how many of you know that God is a gracious, forgiving, benevolent, merciful God? 
Amen? And so God says, okay, I, I hear you. I'm going to send somebody. And he's going to help you out. The amazing thing is that God would raise up a judge. They'd repent. There'd be peace in the land and prosperity. There'd be rest. There'd be revival. And just when things are beginning to set in, either one of the judges dies or the nation of Israel messes up again. And wander away from the Lord, and here we go again. This happened for 300 years. You think, you know, that they would get a clue. Sometimes we think we should get a clue that there are, in fact, repercussions for disobedience in following Christ. Nevertheless, God was gracious, and he gave them a judge who would come back. Samuel, it would last until the time of Samuel. Probably the two greatest judges that I see in the Old Testament are, are Deborah and Gideon. And I begin to think about Gideon, who's a farmer, who enjoyed what he did. As his borders were being terrorized by the enemy, as he was hiding. And I'm going to just skip through a lot of things that I have written here. But when you look at it, Gideon doesn't view himself as a warrior. He's a farmer that's hiding out from the enemy. Now, mind you, he's a smart farmer. And I don't think he's not, that he's not afraid to fight, but he knows the odds of one farmer against a bunch of marauding army is not very good odds. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, God saw something in him that Gideon didn't see in himself. And I would dare propose to you that everyone here today, God has a plan for your life. He sees something in you that you do not see at all at this point in your life. He sees something in you, your family, your heritage, your gifting, whatever it is that he has prepared you from the past that he is using to prepare you for the future. He sees you differently. We see our failures. God sees those failures are building blocks of our character. We see our weaknesses. God sees our strengths, or perhaps he sees his strength that can work through us. We see our lack of abilities. We see God's ability to work through us. How many of you know we see our self-limitations? And God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are no limitations to a believer. We see ourselves as a farmer. God sees many of you here today as warriors. It's all about perspective. Gideon felt that God had abandoned Israel. And we can go on and talk about the fleeces. We can talk about, there's some great stories in here. You can talk about how they went to the, uh, the river and decided how many men would go to fight against the uh, Amorites. And you remember they, got, they started out with 32,000 troops where we pick it up. So evidently, Gideon got an idea that he really is a warrior. And he went out and recruited 32,000 men to fight. Now, that's a good crew. But God looked at him and said, that's too many. Tell them and whoever is scared, 
You ain't you scared of cats. You want to go home to mommy? Go. And they did. 22,000 of them. Now I go, hmm, I'm supposed to fight a war and I just lost two-thirds of my army. But that wasn't discouraging to the Lord. So the Lord says, you know, that's still too many. What? That's too many people. Too many soldiers. Because, you know, if you fight and you win, you'll think that it's your own military skill and it's because of that that you won and you'll boast everybody. And you will forget that it is the Lord your God who has delivered you. So he says, pare it down. Take them down to the water. I'll narrow it down just a bit. And narrow it down a bit. And then, boy, how many of you know that it was that test, you know, where some of them got down and lapped the water like dogs. Others cupped their hands. And I don't remember which is which because as a kid, I always got that wrong on the felt board. Uh, you know, I just, I don't remember which way. But I know this. They got 300 out of them. And I begin to think of myself that God was doing to the soldiers what this man Gideon had been doing his whole life. He was separating the wheat from the chaff. Don't miss that in this story. You see, Gideon became an expert at separating and discovering the real purpose of something. And I think how ironic that God used him to separate his own allegiance and their people's allegiance to Baal. Write this down if you would. Today's tasks are preparation for tomorrow's calling. God used Gideon's ability as a farmer to separate. He used those abilities to prepare him for the calling. I'm going to go on and just jump through a couple of these and we're going to get to the table of the Lord in just a minute here. Another thing I wrote down is that God calls us where we are, not, to where we, not from where we've been or to where we're going. He calls us right where we are. Let me ask you a question. I'm not going to do that again. I was thinking of Jesus knocking, but man, that one really hurt. If Jesus called you right now on your cell phone, or he knocked on your door, would you know it's him? Would you know what his voice sounds like? Do you know what his nuances, do you know what it's like when the Lord reaches out to call you? And what's amazing to me is that this angel was calling Gideon, and he didn't even recognize that it was God. You have people in your life right now who are reaching out, and God is using their voice to speak to you if you will just listen. Many, many times we miss that of what God is doing. You see, an interesting dynamic takes place. The angel of the Lord appears to him as an angel, or the Lord appears to him. And then the second epiphany was when the Spirit of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him to tear down his father's Baal statue. And what I love about this is that the first revelation is that God reaches out to Gideon. 
Do you all get that? God reaches out to Gideon. God reaches out to you and me. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and remain in me and bear much fruit. The initiation of our salvation is from the Savior to us through the cross at Calvary. God is reaching down to let us know that he loves us. And that's what he did to get him. He reached out, he found him, told him, and he's going to empower him. But then, the second revelation was from the dream. He says, now, Gideon, you and me, we're going to walk together. You got to do something I ask you now. I reached out to you. Now I need you to scratch my back. And I want you to get rid of that Baal statue in your house. And I love that because, you see, it's, it's, it's the understanding of a love relationship that God reaches down to where we're at. But we have to respond. I don't know about you, if any of you remember courting your wife and, or husband, and, you know, I had to call her, and she, guess what? She had to respond. When I first kissed her, oh, thank God, glorious days that were, I'm going to cotton it. I, I looked at that and go, oh, my gosh. What if I kiss her and she doesn't kiss me back? Well, how many of you know that relationship is pretty much over? But when I reached out to her, five kids later, guess what? She had that same love towards me. And that's the love that God has for us. He initiates it. We respond to it. And he wants us to respond to it. And by the way, if you're out with a person on a date and there's no one responding except the other person or yourself, you're probably a narcissist. <laughs> Gideon then went on to test God, and I, I don't even have the ability to, to deal with all that this morning, but I do know this, and I want to close with this point, and I'm going to ask Danette and Joey if they would come as we prepare our hearts for communion. The angel of the Lord says this to Gideon. Greetings, mighty warrior, mighty man of valor. Now, I could insert anybody's name right now. I can look over at Steve. Steve, a man of valor. Paul, a man of valor. Linda, a woman of valor. Mighty warrior. And we're kind of like, <laughs> that's all, folks. Are you kidding me? But here's the qualifier, and please do not miss this, because it's, it's essential in your walk with Christ. The third thing I want you to just jot down, jot this down, is the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Verse 12 says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And then when Gideon gives his objections, he says, I will be with you. We'll do it together. One of the most delightful times I've ever had in my life, I had the ability to go to see the St. Louis Cardinals play. Two of the young men on the team were friends of my kids. 
And so we went to San Francisco and they let us in the back door and we went into the clubhouse and the weight room and the video room. And, you know, I'm just like a kid in a candy store. I'm, where's Albert Pujols? You know, I'm looking around. And, and all of a sudden, this big old security guard comes at us. And guess what he's going to do? Gabe, excuse me, sir, this is reserved for the team. We don't allow fans to come in here. And say about back where Mark is at, uh, all of a sudden coming out of the locker room is these two boys, and they look over at me and they see the big guy, and they kind of let it happen a little bit because, you know, they want Pastor Greg to get messed up a little bit, you know. And, and they said, hey, and they knew his name, you know, uh, Rebecca, he's with me. He's with me. And because I was with them, it changed everything. Because I was with him, I had authority to go where normally I would not go. I was safe under the protection of a security force simply because I knew him and he knew me. Don't ever undersell or under-evaluate the fact that God is with you. The Bible is filled with examples. The Lord said, I will be with you. And yet I think of it in terms of, of Mark chapter 4 and Jesus. And I want to close with this story. Jesus is out on the boat. They'd spent all day across the Sea of Galilee teaching them about the parable of the sower and all this stuff. And he's tired. And they go across the lake and a big storm and they call it a squall comes up immediately and what happens is the water starts to go into the boat these guys are afraid they're going to die and they look over at Jesus and what's he doing Marty what's he doing he's sleeping he does what your husband does every Sunday afternoon after church or sometimes even during the service I've noticed just kidding. John's always alert. He's asleep. Now, don't miss this. Jesus was with them. But they hadn't called out to him. You see, Jesus didn't hear the storm. He heard the disciples cry out for him. Don't ever miss that when you go through a storm. Don't ever miss that. He is with us in the storm. But if we don't cry for help, we may not receive it. And so when someone says to you, I am with you, understand the importance of the establishment of that, of what that declares to not only to Gideon, but to you as a believer, you can be going through the storm of health and marriage and finances, every problem that you're facing. But he's with you. The affliction is only temporary. Psalms 139 says, where can I flee from your spirit? Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened for I am with you. 
And wherever you go, I will go with you. Psalms 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. He's with us. Deuteronomy chapter 31 says, The Lord goes before you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. John 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we're called the children of God. The very name of Jesus when he came to this earth was Emmanuel, God with us. And do you know his name proclaimed his nature? God is with us. When he went to go back to be with the Father, do you remember what he said? Lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the ages. The proclamation of who Jesus was, his very purpose, was shown there in Bethlehem. And it was reminded of when he left, he'll always be with us. I want to say to you from the heart of God this morning, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that whether we go to the right, the left, the north, the south, that you're there with us. Believing in us, hoping, wanting and desiring for us to turn our hearts to you. To call you for our time of need. So we come to your table, Lord. May we take the time to reflect, to follow the admonition of 1 Corinthians. To examine our hearts. Let's begin to do that. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.